Biden Inc. This thing may be much bigger and much deeper than anyone originally thought. And then there's the whole cover-up that we're going to talk about as well. Some explosive new allegations I'm going to bring you up to date. Meanwhile, wow, wow. Remember when they were trying to deal with the whole spending issue and they had that stop-gap bill and, well, they just couldn't get it together there on Capitol Hill? Well, it turns out one of the Democrats, you know, he pulled a fire alarm. (laughs) He's now pleaded guilty to it. And even worse, there's video. Oh, yeah. There's video of this guy, Jamal Bowman, pulling the fire, well, taking away all the signs, all the warnings so that, you know, somehow he could say, oopsie daisy, that was just kind of a mistake. Oh my gosh, like these people, come on. What are they, total thugs? That's what I'm beginning to think. That is exactly what I am thinking. I'm going to get you up to date on some of the developments out of Israel as well. But we got a lot to talk about on a day like today. We're brought to you in part, as always, by LegacyPMInvestments.com. Go check them out if you're interested in investing in gold or silver today. LegacyPMInvestments.com, 1-866-589-0560. We are in a live show, so keep the comments coming. I, I always enjoy hearing from all of you guys. Really, this is just incredible. We're going to get to this Biden Inc. thing because it's a big story. But this news just crossed. So I want to bring this to you first because it's really worth seeing. This is Jamal Brown. Okay. So he's like the the other member of the squad. The only, I guess, non-female member of the squad, Jamal Brown from New York representative. Well, you know, back on September 30th, someone pulled a fire alarm What do you know, as they were trying to take a vote and trying to, you know, figure out how to keep the government open. That was that stopgap spending bill that they were trying to get done on September 30th. So you'd think that lawmakers would want to see that happen, right? Like the Democrats are going on and on. Oh, these Republicans can't get their act together. They can't keep the government open. And then there's this one, Jamal Brown, honorary member of the squad, that somehow decided it would be a bright idea to pull the fire alarm so that they couldn't vote. Oh, he doesn't get his way, so he, he... he pulls the fire alarm. Well, he's he's put guilty to that. And now there's this video. You know, he was like, oh, you know, in the beginning, oh, well, you know, it was kind of a mistake, whatever. Well, we know it, it really couldn't have been a mistake, not if you went around and actually pulled the warning signs before pulling the fire alarm during the House vote on spending back on September 30th. Did you see that? Let, let, let's watch it again. Can we watch it again? I want to watch it again because... Don't tell me, buddy, that you didn't know and it was just a mistake, an embarrassing mistake. No, no. You actually pulled the signs down that said, warning, you know, fire alarm's going to go off. Here we are. Take a look. Here he comes walking in. If you're listening on the Apple podcast, I'm narrating this for you. Come join us over at Rumble or on YouTube. I'm here live every day. Facebook as well. I mean, wow. What a winner. I mean, these people are such thugs that they're doing little asinine things like that. What about the bigger stuff, huh? What about the bigger stuff that they are doing? That's what we get to talk about. We're also going to talk with Dinesh D'Souza coming up. He is out with a brand new movie called Police State. He and Dan Bongino, two of my former Fox colleagues, actually, teaming up on this one. It is fantastic. It is fantastic. And Dinesh is going to join us momentarily to talk a little bit about it. It's premiering It's premiering Friday night, but first, Biden Inc., here we go. This is a bigger operation than anyone thought. You know, 
we've gotten some indication of it, right? Charles Grassley, he was complaining. He's like, I don't understand. Like, you know, if the FBI had certain amounts of information, like why wouldn't that actually be looked at? Well, it was never looked at and perhaps for political reasons, political purposes. Why do you think 51 ex-spooks came out and said, this is nothing but misinformation, courtesy of the Russians, fed to you by Rudy Giuliani. This is what they told us ahead of the election, right? And then the rest was history. The New York Post had its Twitter account shut down. I mean, other things happened. You still couldn't talk about it, like forever, right? You could not talk about this stuff. I'm not kidding. Like, I I experienced it myself. There were just no-go territories, and this was one of them, and yet it turns out that it was all right. Well, they didn't want us to see this in part because, well, it certainly doesn't look good. And now we have learned from Mr. Grassley, Senator Grassley, that in fact, the FBI, he alleges, had 40 informants on the Biden family, Biden Inc., which actually this is a criminal style thing. According to Grassley, these were informants that were alleging criminal activity by Joe Biden and his family. So, wow, how did that get swept under the rug? I mean, it really gives new meaning to, you know, who you know. And apparently, the way this whole scheme seemed to have worked, reportedly, right, it is or was all who you knew. Because if you knew... Somebody, oh, we know who that somebody would be, right? Mr. Hunter Biden himself, or, or, or the brother, James. If you knew any of these guys and they could get you to the big guy, well, then suddenly all your problems went away. Ma, oh, Victor Shokin, he's really annoying you there at Burisma. We can take care of that, right, for a price. These allegations are really serious. Not just the allegations themselves, but the cover-up. The cover-up is terrifying. So let me go through some of this. I mean, this is really pretty incredible. Because according, as I said, to Grassley, in this letter, what he's saying is that the FBI basically swept it all under the rug and deliberately and improperly discredited anything that was negative about the Bidens, specifically Hunter Biden, anything that would have caused people to possibly question whether or not Joe Biden should be elected, that was all swept under the rug, but more than swept under the rug. It was actually like deliberately, very aggressively put out to pasture. So they discredited all this stuff in in different ways, interesting ways. There is a report today as well coming to us from America First Legal, and they've been filing FOIA requests, et cetera, and this seems to have been a government memo. You see it on the screen if you're watching this live, saying, colleagues, please see updated reports for the week below. Full report attached. Updates include these are the things that they are trying to fight. A bunch of QAnon things, TikTok banning accounts that spread these theories and disinformation. Russia state-backed media continues to spread, they said, uh, vaccine disinformation, et cetera. And part of this as well, part of this as well, was the Hunter Biden laptop stuff, which is why if you were actually doing your job as a reporter and actually putting this information out there, you were in trouble. And we saw that happen over and over and over and over again. And so then you start to say to yourself, what are we? What have we become? 
Like how, how is that? How is that right? I, I have a lot of questions here that I need answers to. Okay. Starting with the fact that if you're the vice president of the United States and the president, by the way, this was Obama's directive says, I don't want anybody in my cabinet having family members that are lobbying, especially overseas. Well, then how the heck does your son get a gig lobbying overseas? And why doesn't he register as a foreign special agent? Why doesn't, why doesn't he pay his taxes, for goodness sakes? I mean, you want to go hire 8,000 new IRS agents? Thank you very much, Joe Biden. And yet your own son skips out on millions? This is messed up. And then there was this little matter that we still haven't gotten resolution on. I'm showing you some information here. This is from the Southeastern Legal Foundation. They want to know just exactly what all those emails were from the likes of Robin Ware, four, five, six at Gmail, J-R-B-Ware, W-A-R-E, at gmail.com, Robert L. Peters at PCI.gov. These had to have been preserved through the National Archives and Records Administration. And so we're waiting. There's some 5,138 email messages, 25 electronic files, 200 pages of potentially responsive records that must be processed according to the National Archives. But, you know, they, they sent that response back in June, end of June. So let's be generous and call it July 1st. So July, August, September, we're almost in November, and still we don't have these emails. We deserve to have these emails. We deserve to know what's going on. This is exactly what Chuck Grassley is saying, that the American public deserves to know this. Because in other words, if you've got politicians that are effectively for sale all over the world, then what kind of government do you have? I mean, here we are preaching how you know, you got you to gotta root out corruption, and yet we're like a source of corruption in and of itself. I want you to see Senator Johnson, who was actually just on the show recently with me and calling out the FBI, for very similar things and effectively how they were going after Donald Trump and yet they were turning a blind eye to all of this. He was on Fox and I want you to hear what he had to say today on this because he said, look, we can't trust these guys anymore. And it's no wonder, right? Watch. Well, you know, unfortunately, the, we can't trust uh, top officials in the FBI anymore. Uh, the, their credibility is shattered. Uh, you take a look at how they uh, you know, tormented President Trump when they knew that, uh, for example, the Steele dossier was sourced by somebody they were investigating as a Russian spy, and then they have 40 human sources saying that there's mm. potential criminal activity within the Biden crime family. Senator Grass and I, of course, laid out the millions of dollars that flowed into the, the labyrinth of companies designed for money laundering uh, in our report, and the FBI had a program, a scheme, to turn all that derogatory information and say that was Russian disinformation. So this is corruption at the highest levels. There are way too many people involved in the FBI in this thing. Uh, this needs to be fully investigated, and the people that uh, Senator Grassley pointed out in his letter that need to be interviewed, they need to be interviewed, and they need to come clean. We, we, we need to clean house in the FBI. I, I mean, we, I called it obnoxious. We need answers, right? Like, I think that that's pretty darn evident right now. We need a whole lot of answers because it's not acceptable, positively unacceptable that this could be going on. And then nobody even bothers to ask questions. I mean, how is it that Hunter Biden, I mean, I'm sorry, he never registered as a foreign agent. And yet you look at those bank records and I've looked through them. There was a lot of money going back and forth. And the money was going from Ukraine into his bank account or from China into his bank account. And it wasn't even always just money. Sometimes it was diamonds. 
Sometimes it was a Porsche. Come on. And then you want to tell me, oh, no, dad didn't know anything about it. Nothing at all. Well, Devin Archer, he knew this was his business partner, Hunter's business partner. Devin Archer knew a thing or two about just exactly what it was they were really selling. You know what they were selling. I know what they were selling. Everybody knows what they were selling. You got to be an expert in knowing the guy. And he was the guy that was the expert in knowing the guy. He was an expert in knowing the guy. And who was the guy he knew? Uh, well, he knew a lot of people, but obviously yep. there was some familiar, you know, some, his brother, his father, uh, yep. uh some of his, his father's siblings. So he, he knew a lot of people. And, and obviously I know you're pointing to, you know, the father being the key relationship. Yeah. The father would be the key relationship. The father was the big guy. Okay. You need something for the big guy. Hey, don't forget to subscribe. Do me that favor. Subscribe. If you're new to the channel, welcome. It's great to have you here. Make sure you subscribe, you like, you share, and you hit the bell so that you know when I'm here. All right. I want to share this with you. Now, I've done it before, so forgive me if some of you know this already, but I think it's important to remind ourselves of just exactly the evidence that is out there. There was this one text from Hunter to his daughter, you know, basically calling her an ingrate and then saying, well, you know, the good news is I've worked so hard for this family, but the good news is you're going to find out that you won't have to give a portion of all your revenue, all the money you're making to me. Like I had to give to dad. Huh? So was he really getting something? I mean, we're not naive. We're not morons. Here is a copy of that smoking gun. If you would text This is it. Take a look, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so this is that text that he sent to one of his uh, quote-unquote associates or a guy he was trying to work with in China. Sitting here with my dad, my father, he writes, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been filled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows in my ability, my own ability to hold forever a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. Okay, so uh, he's sitting there with his dad. His dad is going to make sure that if the money doesn't get paid, something's going to happen. Do you remember in the beginning when I told you these people, these Democrats are coming across? And by the way, you know, look, I know there's plenty of blame to go around for both parties, but the Democrats are especially egregious on this matter, especially the Bidens. You know, I said they were kind of like thugs, this Jamal Bowman, the extra member of the squad. I mean, thugs that go around and like take down signs. Again, we're looking at this video. It just came in. So I wanted to show you thugs that go down and take down the signs, the warning signs before pulling a fire alarm, wasting taxpayer resources, by the way, because you had to have the Capitol Hill police there come in all because, oh, he doesn't like the way things are going to go with the spending bill. This is really, I think, effectively just another example of what all of them are engaging in in some way, shape, or form. They think they're above the law. They think, okay, you're in trouble. I mean, there's a story the other day about the guy out in New Jersey who got in trouble with the IRS, and he's doing time for it, right? But Hunter Biden doesn't declare the money that he's making, and no problem, doesn't matter. I mean, how, how, is, how is that okay? How is that okay? 
I mean, we need these records. National Archives, we're calling on you. You know what, Grassley? Good for you. And we got a new Speaker of the House, and he needs to do his job too. And we all need to hold him accountable, okay? Because I want to make sure that we get to the bottom of this. This is our country. This is our reputation. We can't have the office of the vice presidency or any cabinet position or, for that matter, the presidency up for sale. Here's Senator Johnson. I want to share with you. This is a clip that Elon Musk himself sent out. Um, part of this is, of course, related to everything that, that went on back when everybody was muzzled, like really, really muzzled. And there's a sentiment out there that effectively Twitter had become an arm of the deep state. It was closely in connection with the State Department and with, uh, well, the cybersecurity team deep within the government. America First actually revealed that in some of their findings this week. So interesting here because while we all, and by the way, you know, you're not going to get any more pro First Amendment than me albeit with some sensitivity, right? Like what these kids are doing on these college campuses is out of control. But Elon Musk sent this out, and I think it's an important reminder just of how crazy it all got, and we need to make sure that that does not happen again, even though they're trying as we speak, and I'll get to that. Also, ego. I mean, they they honestly think that they don't have to say anything. That's Senator Johnson. Forgive me. Let's go down here to... Mike Johnson, our new Speaker of the House, this was what he said when it came to the whole Twitter thing and the restriction on speech and the Hunter Biden laptop being somehow misinformation that wasn't really misinformation, but was indeed true. Here's Elon Musk having tweeted this. It's a little sped up. I'm just going to warn you. Maybe that's a good thing because, you know, you don't have to listen to all the ums, but it's a little sped up. This is what was tweeted by Elon today. Here we go. You've documented carefully in the Twitter files are a couple of key facts. You'll hear people will hear a lot of things today, but this is what they need to know. The federal government, from Democrat members of Congress to intelligence agencies, including the FBI, used Twitter and other social media companies to censor Americans' speech. If the alarm bells are not going off, then you're not paying attention. Over the past three years, documents show, they prove what you guys have, have uncovered here. Is there's communication between Twitter and the FBI. It was constant. It was pervasive. Twitter was basically an FBI subsidiary before Elon Musk took it over. The Twitter files revealed that by 2020, Twitter was engaged in open information sharing with the intelligence community, and now we know there were many intelligence agencies apparently involved in this. The FBI pressured Twitter to act on election-related tweets leading up to the 2022 election. Of course, they did it in 2020 as well, and Twitter dutifully censored content as a result. Twitter executives restricted accounts. They censored speech that conflicted with the left's narrative. Twitter has used its internal tools to control and manipulate uh, Considered speech considered misinformation, and who was determining that? It was the government bureaucrats. Documents show that Twitter used visibility filtering to restrict certain accounts and posts and removed people from the platform altogether. The Twitter files should be a matter of bipartisan concern for every member of Congress and every American citizen because it is a bedrock principle of our constitutional system that the government does not get to decide what speech is acceptable or true. Under the First Amendment, Americans have a right to speak freely regardless of whether their speech upsets their preferred narrative. In fact, that's when it needs the most vigorous protection. Everybody on the left used to believe in that, or at least they purported to. Government and media fact-checkers frequently get things wrong. The American people can't and shouldn't rely on so-called experts to be the arbiters of truth, disinformation boards, and the like. It doesn't matter what political party you're, you're in. Government should not suppress important debates and public discourse. Gentlemen. Yeah. Well said, right? 
Like it's good he's Speaker of the House. We need that kind of sentiment right now. You need to remember that. I mean, you can't just squelch the other side because you don't agree with the other side. What kind of America do you have then? And when you have reporters, including those at the New York Post, a paper that was started what all the way back in the days of Alexander Hamilton, one of the long, I, I, it's probably the oldest newspaper in America, you're going to shut down their Twitter account because you don't like what they're saying? So that's exactly what was going down. According to new revelations by America First Legal, what they have learned was that the government engaged in a very active campaign, went out to everybody on October 20th, so just weeks, right, before the election, and said, hey, none of this is allowed. I myself experienced some interesting things. I should send you over. You know what? I'm going to send you. Maybe we'll continue this conversation here. I'm going to send you a link um, after after the show. Maybe we go over here um, to https colon uh, forward slash forward slash locals dot com forward slash Trish Regan. We, we can talk some more there. <laughs> anyway, a lot of this was going down and it was really, really bad. And look, the truth is, is that you've got to protect speech. And again, and I say that with within the context of some sensitivity, because what's going on on college campuses right now, there was a story today about a a, a group of these protesters that marched straight towards the library at one college because the Jewish students were inside there. They had gotten nervous and these Palestinian pro-Palestinian protesters decided to just go hang out and they couldn't get for whatever reason, they couldn't get campus police there in time. So when you're then at that point threatening people, when you think about Black Lives Matter and how they were looting and how they were in some cases torching these police stations like that's never good right we need very peaceful protests where we're not actually screaming about killing people i mean that's taking it another step and that's exactly what those kids at upenn when they're talking about genocide for israel that's what they were doing so you know look you can say it it's not great it's not appropriate but let's be mindful of also protecting shall we say, the Jewish students on these campuses that feel as though they are under attack. And by the way, let's just call it for what it is. These kids are idiots, total idiots. Leon Cooperman, I'm going to show you this in a little bit, was on my former network, Fox Business. And Leon's a big, 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 big deal investor. He's given some like $15 million to Columbia University, my alma mater. And uh, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I mean, beyond disappointed. University of Florida, I'll tell you, Ben Sass is standing up for the right things for, for the Jewish kids, and he's standing up promising to protect them, and he's also standing up for free speech. He's got it right. That is going to be the new Harvard, in my estimation. Anyway, Leon, like, I'll, I'll play this for you in a little bit. He, he said these kids are just, well, he came right out and said it. He, he said some bad words about them. <laughs> we'll get to that. But Mike Johnson is right. We need to be able to speak. And as we're going into an election season, you can't just shut us down. It's not right. It's not right. And Elon Musk knows it's not right. It's one of the reasons why. Aren't we lucky in a country like America where we have people that can shell out all kinds of crazy amounts of money for something like Twitter, now known as X? It's like the one place where you can feel some safety, if you would, here he is. The degree to which uh, various government agencies had effectively had full access to everything that was going on on Twitter uh, blew my mind. Um, I was not aware of that. Would that include people's DMs? Uh, Yes. (sighs) Wow. 
Okay, again, subscribe. Do me that favor. Um, the other thing I'll do is I will make sure I give you my new website. We've got a new website, everybody. TrishReganMedia.com. Go over there if you would and just register. So we have your email and that way we can always be in touch regardless of whatever else is going on. So, but do try and subscribe. Look, what Elon was saying there was pretty incredible. And this was just days, by the way, before Fox gave Tucker the heave-ho. I think there were a lot of people in deep state that certainly did not like where Elon was going. They don't like these Twitter files. They don't like the fact that all of this is coming out and that there were executives at Twitter that effectively had to take their orders, so to speak, from deep state. So this is increasingly a problem, a problem for government and specifically for the Biden administration. And I would say a holdover from the Obama administration. So even though this was happening while Trump was president, think about that. They took the president of the United States of America right off, right off of that platform. I mean, the Ayatollah in Iran, he could stay. You know, Iran that just greenlit this heinous attack and has trained Hamas to be a terror organization that is worse than ISIS. They, they were fine. Meanwhile, you got Hillary Clinton saying that the deplorables need to be deprogrammed. Anybody who voted for Trump, by the way, half the country, right? That's a lot of people that you want to deprogram. So instead of actually focusing on the real threats, Instead of actually using your intelligence departments to work with the Israelis to make sure that something like Hamas was under control, instead of making sure you got all those weapons and equipment out of Afghanistan, when you pulled out abruptly, now the Biden, the Biden State Department and other tentacles of that government were too busy worrying about all of those crazy MAGA people. That was the issue, right? Well, a friend of mine, Two friends of mine, Dinesh D'Souza, just a brilliant intellect. If you're not listening to his podcast, you need to. And Dan Bongino, who's a different kind of brilliant intellect. I love Dan. Just These are two wonderful people. Great, great guys. Dan's a former Secret Service agent, also was on Fox, also sort of unceremoniously not there anymore, although I think there's some, some nuance to that. And Dan's a very independent guy. And didn't want to be owned, so to speak, by that machinery. Anyway, they have a brand new movie out. Dinesh is the executive producer of this. It is really, really incredible. I am so excited because he's here today with us. This is the movie here. You think about everything that's going on right now. You think about the fact that they want to go after and deprogram, by the way, anybody who might have voted for Trump. There was that memo about the FBI trying to look into churches that said they're mass in Catholic because maybe somehow those people were the extremists. Well, my friend Dinesh D'Souza, this has not gone unnoticed by him. He teamed up with Dan Bongino. They have a brand new film out, a brand new film called Police State, policestatefilm.net. That's the website you need to go to. And it looks at this entire issue, which frankly is pretty scary because you know what? If it can happen to this person, it can happen to you. In fact, it's even happened to Dinesh. I'd like to welcome Dinesh D'Souza to the program. Dinesh, good to see you. Congrats on the film. 
Thank you. I, I was about to say I'm very excited about the film, but this is a strange film to be excited about. I actually never wanted to make a film like this simply because I just never wanted America to reach a place where a film like this needed to be made. But alas, here we are. We have so many uh, ingredients or aspects of a police state in our society now that it is. Um, this is quite an urgent call to awareness and a call to action. We've seen... Some examples here. I mean, I, I like to think about, um, well, you've got a great trailer, by the way. The opening is just incredible. It shows how they, you know, they're going after everyday folks. You interview some people that have, have come under fire, do you not? And, and I know that you yourself have been a victim of this during the Obama administration. Walk us through what's happening now, and then we'll get into your story as well. Yeah, the um, the film has two kinds of people in it. One is the the whistleblowers, the informants, the people who can lay out the hidden architecture of the police state. Like, how is it structured? How did it get started? Who's behind it and who's running it? Those kinds of questions, which are really important. And then the other type of person in the film is the ordinary guy who's going about his normal life and comes face to face with the police state, feels the kind of hot breath of the police state on his face. And this is the power of a film, because if you and I were to tell people it's becoming a police state, Americans are, well, they have no experience of it. They're like, I don't see a Stalin overcoat. I don't see a Hitler mustache. How can it really happen here? I don't really believe it. I don't think there's going to be a helicopter over my lawn or a FBI battering ram coming through my door. And see, I think this guy who says that couldn't be more wrong. Uh, And that's why a film can not only show it to you, but help you to feel, to experience, to see what that police state really is like. Do you think that we've lost our way? I mean, you think about what Hillary Clinton has said about how Trump people, I mean, they've gone from deplorables to now the deplorables that need to be deprogrammed. And there's been such this focus on, oh, it's those bad Trump people. When in, in the current state that we're living in right now, Dinesh, Christopher Wray head of the FBI is actually coming out and saying, listen, we need to be very aware, and I'll play this soundbite for you, we need to be very aware of the threat of Hamas-style attacks here in America now. In this heightened environment, there's no question we're seeing an increase in reported threats, and we've got to be on the lookout, especially for lone actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. So I'd encourage you to stay vigilant because as the first line of defense protecting our communities, you're often the first to see the signs that someone may be mobilizing to violence. I'd also ask you to continue sharing any intelligence or observations you may have. And on our end, we're committed to doing the same so that together we can safeguard our communities. We're back with Dinesh D'Souza here. He is out with a brand new film, ladies and gentlemen, just an incredible film that looks at the, quote, police state in America. You can go to policestatefilm.net. The premiere is happening in Las Vegas. It's a virtual premiere, I understand, Dinesh. Virtual premiere in Las Vegas Friday over the weekend. People can download it. They can see it on Rumble. Um, But again, all this information is at policestatefilm.net. What's your reaction to Christopher Ray saying, uh, you know, hey, maybe we ought to focus on those people coming across. He didn't say this, I'm paraphrasing, but the people coming across the border right now, because that could be a real problem. 
Well, it would seem that the easy way uh, to stop that would be to close the border. And the fact that the Biden administration flatly refuses to do that shows that they have other priorities. I wouldn't say they want terrorists to come over the border, but it's like they, they want an open border for political reasons. They want people from other countries to come here over time to get driver's licenses and to vote. They want to shift the balance of political power kind of permanently in their favor. So they don't mind this child trafficking, if the cartels are benefiting, if Hamas is sending terrorists through. This is something they'll deal with, but they're not willing to pay the price of saying, all right, you know what, it's time to close the border. The other thing is Christopher Wray, not long ago, was before Congress, uh, very confidently saying that the real threat to America now Mm -hmm. is uh, domestic, not only terrorism, but extremism. And the reason for that softening term is so he can sweep in groups like Breitbart, Turning Point USA, uh, the Heritage Foundation, mainstream conservative groups that are supposedly the prelude or the precursor to further radicalization. So the FBI has been conducting this truly manhunt of conservatives now. And so then when he comes out and goes, well, I want you to trust us. I want you to report everything you hear. We're like, really? No, I kind of feel like I got in the South in 1932, where I'm going to not that I don't need cops, but I'm going to be very wary before I share information with the cops. You guys actually are just as dangerous as the criminals on the street. Well, you wonder, right? Because if you're the one now sharing it, are you then going to be looked at as part of the problem? Because they're like, oh, wait a second. You said something about these people coming across the border. Well, maybe you're the extremist that that we want to target. I mean, like it's all... It's all kind of getting mumble jumbled. Well, I mean, it's not just that. Christopher Ray said that he thinks that patriots and conservatives pose an equivalent threat to ISIS and Al-Qaeda. So it's not just that by guilt, by association, by reporting something you're getting sucked in. It's that you are in a separate category of potential terrorism at the same threat level as the Hamas terrorists, as the Al-Qaeda and ISIS terrorists. So, I mean, these are people... They could be just exaggerating and saying these things, but I don't think they are. Even when Hillary Clinton said that the MAGA Republicans are like cult members, some people were Mm -hmm. like, there she goes again. She's exaggerating. I think that there is a a malicious purpose to this dehumanizing rhetoric. I mean, you may remember back to the 1990s in Waco when they burned all those buildings, all those families got killed. A lot of Americans were like, ah, that looks bad. But guess what? These people are kooks. They're, they're cult members. Who knows what they're doing in that building? So there's a tendency that when you dehumanize someone, it becomes an easy prelude to treating them badly, wow, incarcerating yes. them, obviously in the Nazi well, We're case, seeing it right now them. unfold with Israel, right? I mean, this, this dehumanization that somehow now we don't care about the 1,400 innocent victims that were slaughtered in just such a brutal, disgusting, horrific, violent way. I mean, suddenly it's Israel's fault, according to the students at Harvard and plenty other universities with, uh, you know, great pedigrees. I mean, that dehumanization thing is a big, and, and I think there's some correlation, shall we say, between that dehumanization of the 1,400 Israeli victims and, well, you know, MAGA conservatives and white oppressors, so to speak, in this victim mentality that's perpetuated by the likes of Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and that the Democrat Party, frankly, has grabbed onto. Their, their model is the, the de, uh, decolonization. They treat Israel as a colonial power and they treat 
families that essentially are living in kibbutzes as, quote, settlers, as if these families kind of came out of nowhere. They have no ancestral claim to the land. They just moved in on other people's homes. Well, this is the ancestral land of the Jews. The Jews have been there for 4,000 years. And so, in fact, Islam in the 7th century was the colonizing power that swept across the Christian lands of Syria and Jordan, captured Jerusalem. Um, so the, 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 there's a kind of... Yeah, people forget that. They were the colonizers originally. Absolutely. And, and converted and, by the sword. And they were proud of it. So the, um, in other words, they were proud of conquering as opposed to converting people at will. They did con convert some people, but they also conquered everybody who posed any kind of resistance. Mm -hmm. And you are also right that that same anti-colonial model is used inside the United States to create division based upon race, based upon gender, sexual orientation, now the new transgender issue. So there's a linkage between the domestic politics and the international politics. You yourself were a victim of this. And I think it's important to hear, I mean, especially as we look at the IRS hiring 80,000 new agents. I mean, despite the fact that somehow, some way, Hunter Biden was able to get away with being a foreign agent unregistered. I mean, even Barack Obama had said to his staff, you're not allowed to have family members doing this. So he's collecting millions doesn't report it on his taxes. You know, Joe Biden actually took some creative ways to, to get around paying, a, you know, some 50,000 bucks in extra taxes he probably should have been paying with the, the way he incorporated himself. All I'm saying is they've got these 80,000 IRS agents. They're expanding the FBI to go after anybody who's conservative. You appropriately name your film Police State policestatefilm.net. That's the place to go if you want to see this and get all the information, everyone on it. Um, where, where does this lead to? Tell me what happened to you, because that was sort of the beginning of it. I mean, I think Barack Obama, he really, he, he, he was, dare I say, a bit vindictive. Um, explain what happened to you, Dinesh. Well, um, you know, the roots of the police state go back to after 9-11, because that's when the government got all these police powers, these ex enhanced powers. But of course, the objective was for those powers to be used against foreign terrorists, not to be used against fellow citizens, not to be turned inward, if you will. That's what began in the Obama years. Mm -hmm. In my case, for a trivial campaign finance violation, by the way, well-motivated, I was trying to help Wendy Long, a college friend of mine who was running for office. I didn't get anything in return. Obviously, I hadn't. it was a first-time offense. Normally, I'd get a misdemeanor, a slap on the wrist, but no, I felt the full force of the federal government. Now, and I ended up doing eight months in overnight confinement. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh my gosh. So and this is because you gave a little extra money, and, and, and some, they said this was campaign finance violation, and suddenly you're in confinement for eight months. Exactly. Now, even then, I have to you, say- You, by the way, had a documentary, did you not, on Obama? Right well, I got a film just weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. I mean, five weeks after my film was in the theater, I, there were two FBI agents at my door. And uh, so this was indeed, as you say, the vindictive narcissist in the White House. But see, I thought, Trish, at that time, it was a one-off and- you know, I didn't see it as a precursor to what would happen to Carter Page, Papadopoulos, Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, of course, now Trump. The escalation of the police state has been so rapid in the last two years that if you went down defining features of police states, you would find almost all of them present now in the United States. I mean, you take the worst regimes of history, North Korea, China, Iran, the old Soviet Union. 
What do they have in common? Well, they have mass surveillance of citizens. We have that. They have widespread censorship. We have that. They have ideological indoctrination in the schools and the media. We have that. They tend to be one-party states to try to lock up the leader of the opposition party, criminalize dissent. We have that. Uh, they go after religious liberty. We have that. Uh, and, and finally, they have political prisoners. Well, we have that. So to one degree or another, all the characteristic features of police states are now evident oh uh, in this country. It's frightening. It's frightening. You know, I'm so thankful that Elon Musk bought Twitter. He tweeted, by the way, or retweeted. Somebody had mentioned that Twitter had become effectively an arm of the FBI, uh, an arm of the, the State Department. It was like part of the government. And we, we've seen increasing evidence. I, I credit the work of also America First Legal with some of the things that they recently uncovered just this week, showing that there was a very deliberate effort to suppress speech. I mean, for goodness sakes, the New York Post, right, was not able to say that the Hunter Biden laptop was under investigation by the FBI. That was 51 ex-spooks and hacks came out and told us not the case when, in fact, it was the case, right? So that Russian, quote-unquote, disinformation they claimed was all wrong turned out to be actually right, and their stuff was the misinformation. So it's really, I think, putting us in treacherous territory. I, as a journalist, I, you know, I don't know, Dinesh, like I'm kind of naive. Like I grew up in a world where you used to be able to say what you thought. And by the way, nobody totally held it against you. You were still friends at the end of the day. This is very, very different. And I'm very aware. I mean, I'm thankful for places like Twitter. I'm thankful for Rumble um, because, you know, you, you just don't know right? You never know what's going to trigger them. Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is the underlying message of the film is that that's, we're not living in the America that you grew up in. We're not living in the America that I came to as a teenager in the late, late 1970s, yeah. that we've seen a dark turn in this country. Unfortunately, Republicans have been somewhat complicit, not only after 9-11, but also because they have almost obstinately refused to see what's going on. They're a little bit like the antelope or the wildebeest. And even if you tell them, hey, there's a predator in the trees, look right there. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We think it's the wind. Or we think that if there is a predator, it jumps. It's not going to land on my back. It'll go on someone else's back. So this... Because they're so concerned about getting elected. I mean, is that it? Like, in other words, as long as it's working for them in the current space and time, they don't really care. It's, it's a combination of fear. Some of them are also conservatives, kind of in the operational sense. They don't like change. They don't like to be mobilized. They're like, no, it's not as bad as you say. Let's not rock the boat. Let's not get too excited, Dinesh. So this is all the, you know, now look, if you're living in a, if you're like Jimmy Stewart and you're living in a small town in, in you know, this is the man who shot Liberty Balance and there's a good sheriff and everything's working well, then you can say, you know, I'm a man of the law books and I'm not going to be an outlaw. I won't go for my gun. I'm going to open my book and find a, a legal precedent. But, you know, if you go out in a covered wagon out west, you're encircled by outlaws. They want to burn your homestead and rape your wife and kill your kids. And then you say, I'm going to go look for a law book. You're deranged. You, don't, you have no grasp of the situation you're facing in. So that's kind of the message of the film. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that it is a wake-up call to America, but also a stiffening of the spine of the Republican Party. Can I ask you, are we going after the wrong things again? When you think about, and again, there's a, this is very fluid. We don't have all the information about the attack in Maine, in Lewiston, Maine, relatively near where, I mean, I, I grew up in New Hampshire. I know you went to college in New Hampshire. Um, I spent a lot of time in, in the Kennebunk 
poor Portland area summers as a kid. Lewiston, you know, I I didn't think was a you know a place where something like this would ever happen. Again, we don't know much right now, but we do know that the gentleman in question spent two months in a mental health facility. I mean, should we be spending a little bit more time like looking at people that have actually been committed, questioning, you know, why they're they're coming out again? Like, I, I'm pretty libertarian. I don't like the idea of locking people up, but you've got people pushing people on subways to their death in New York City. You've got you got the situation. Horrible, horrible, horrible situation in Maine. Why aren't we actually focused on those threats? Exactly. This is a, you could call it a, an intelligence failure, right? Because the truth of it is we have these mass shootings. They're almost always done by some deranged guy. And when you look back, you find out, oh, there were a number of warning signs in the case of the Parkland shooter, for example, multiple signs of threatening people and, and so on. And yet the, the people in, in, the, in, in authority who know about this don't take steps. Uh, now, why is that? Well, I think one factor is because so much uh, of our intelligence agencies now are looking in the wrong place. I mean, they're looking, you, you know, we heard about the FBI report about traditionalist Catholics. I mean, how absurd is that? I mean, because you go to mass in Latin. I mean, that one just floored me. Moms floored me. Board meetings, uh, pro-life activists. Uh, I'm quite sure that, you know, my film team is under some sort of surveillance. Oh, they're making a film called Police Did. We really got to oh, I'm watch sure you this. are. You better be careful, Dinesh. We know what happened well, last time, careful. at least with Obama. <laughs> you know, I am careful. But my point is, this is how you miss this stuff. I mean, this is how the U.S. intelligence agencies miss the Hamas attacks. It's a mm-hmm. failure of intelligence in Israel. But how come we didn't know about it? We have massive resources massive technology. So again, I think that our intelligence agencies have uh, are, not that they are sort of have lost sight. They have deliberately turned the cameras away from the kind of people that we gave them this power to look at. And instead they're looking at other people. Again, they're doing it because it's a political witch hunt being driven by the Biden regime. And that's, that is the force behind the police state. It's the, it's interesting you use the word regime. I, I mean, yeah, cause that's, I that's how that, it feels. It feels that way, not just because of the election of 2020, it feels that way because, you know, the Bill of Rights lays out rights that are supposed to be inviolable, or as the founders put it, unalienable, which means even majorities cannot take away those rights, right? They cannot take away your right to free speech, my right to conscience. So the fact that if you go down the list of rights in the Bill of Rights, uh, I mentioned free speech and conscience, right to assemble, right to petition the government, uh, equal rights and equal justice under the law. And you realize not a single one of those rights is secure under Biden. Well, that's the very definition of a regime. It's an unlawful government and police states are inherently lawless. Wow. So I, I, I'm so excited for you for having made this movie. Dan Bongino, I have enormous respect for as well. The two of you together, you guys are a force. I, I know that he, you know, he was a, a Secret Service professional you you you're such an incredible intellect i am so excited for this film i just want everybody to go and see it policestatefilm.net a production by dinesh d'souza they are always incredible you're going to be able to see it everywhere but i'd recommend everybody go to the website right because that's where they'll see how they can stream it and where it's going to be and they can join the 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 virtual everybody comes together right to watch it there in vegas the premiere. It's a live event. And so okay. we have uh, music, we have the full screening of the film and then the live Q&A. So it starts at, um, at 8 p.m. Eastern 
uh, on Friday night. And then the streaming, the DVD will all come after. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. And thank you for being here. My good friend, Dinesh D'Souza, policestatefilm.net. Thanks, Dinesh. Thank you. Great to have him here. Great to have him here. I'm so looking forward to this virtual premiere. Anyway, he made so many good points. Did he not? Like, I, I saw some of your commentary. He is spot on. And by the way, like, he's lived it, right? Because he did that documentary about where Obama was born. And as he told us five weeks later, what do you know? The FBI is on his doorstep. I mean, think about think about Matt Taibbi. And he was supposed to testify, remember, before Congress about just exactly what was going on with the Twitter files because he had gotten, I guess Elon gave him a copy of what was going on and he'd seen them all. And suddenly they're there at his doorstep. Come on. I, I mean, intimidation tactic or what? And then, I mean, poor Elon, every time he turns, it's like Trump. It's like, get Elon, get Trump. The number of lawsuits against Elon Musk, it's just rather incredible. And he's the guy, by the way, that they ought to be looking to. He's the guy, by the way, who came up with the whole EV thing long before any of them in Washington ever thought about it, all those green energy folks. Elon Musk was the one, and and did he ever get credit? No, 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 no. They don't like Elon Musk because Elon Musk actually stands for our constitutional rights, shall we say. In the meantime, I want to turn to the horror in Israel, the absolute horror. You know, Dinesh said something really interesting, which I think is important, this dehumanization that's going on. I think that there's a, a commonality there, whether it's Hillary Clinton calling anybody who supported Trump and his policies a deplorable who needs to be deprogrammed, or whether it's Rashida Tlaib going on about all the oppressors in the world and the Israelis, and you know what she thinks about white America. I mean, there's, again, a, a dehumanization there. I played for you the other day, the professor at Cornell University, who said he was exhilarated. He's an associate professor of history at Cornell, exhilarated by the slaughtering of women and children and elderly people being burned alive. I mean, my gosh, my gosh, you know, I I promised you this yesterday and we had a a technical issue, but I I do want to show you here something that uh, aired on Piers Morgan's show Piers interviewed a reporter who had seen some footage that the IDF had from their GoPro cameras, and it's awful. It's awful. And I I just tell you that we're not going to show the images, but you're going to hear what was on the tape. So just a a bit of a warning in that sense. But Piers made the point, and and rightly so, that you can't filter this stuff, right? You got to know what the reality is. And so when you see those kids marching and chanting about genocide and 30 different student unions over at Harvard trying to sign up, it's Israel's fault. It's Israel's fault right after 1,400 people are slaughtered. I want you to think about this. We're going to roll the tape. I agree. So first of all, I saw a Hamas terrorist throwing a hand grenade into a bomb shelter uh, where a man... A father with his two uh, sons, were high. he was hiding there. Then the father was killed instantly. The two children ran out, disillusioned, blood all over, running back to their home, screaming for their dad. The, the youngest boy, who was roughly seven, couldn't see anything. He said, I can't see. 
And in the meanwhile, the terrorist who threw the grenade went casually into the home, opened the fridge, took out a bottle of water and drank it and offered the kids some water as if nothing had happened. That was just one scene. We also saw, of course, the beheadings. We saw uh, an Israeli soldier lying on the ground beheaded and terrorists uh, around him screaming Allah Akbar and uh, cheering. We saw Hamas terrorists on the streets systematically assassinating people in their cars, executing them very, very close, in close range. We saw pictures of uh, a burned um, child, uh, burned beyond recognition. You could all, all you could see was that it was a very small person. We saw a picture of a dead baby with blood on it. We saw, I don't even know, I, I had to leave after 35 minutes because eventually I had seen enough. I knew that this had, has, had, had happened, but because of the severe backlash, especially on social media, by people who refuse to believe that this has taken place despite the overwhelming evidence, I felt like I had to go there. Good for him. You know, you have to recognize reality sometimes. And what happened is awful. And what's even more frightening is that our policy has been so extraordinarily awful on the Middle East, on the border, on the economy. I mean, like, you just keep naming it for whatever reason. This team is clueless, but I still just can't help get back to the people that lost their lives. The stories are horrific, and I wanted to do something. And there's two more days left. Guys, we, we've got an emergency fund that I have partnered with. I'm thrilled to have partnered with. This is the International Fellowship for Christians and Jews. And they have a team right there on the ground right now, and they are making sure that resources are getting to all of the communities that were most affected by this violence. People are scarred. Children are scarred. Children that won't ever have their, their parents again. Parents who had to watch their children be killed in front of them. It's bad stuff. It's bad stuff. But you know what? I wanted to feel like I could... I could make some kind of difference in some small way. I, I know you probably want to, too. I think it's our responsibility as human beings, certainly me as a Christian, feeling like I need to do something to help these people. It's what God wants at a moment like this where you're being called to do anything, even in a very, very small way. I mean, for me, very small, right? Because I'm just here with you guys asking for your help for the International Fellowship for Christians and Jews. There is two days left for their emergency fund. Why I like this, I like the charity a lot, but this is especially compelling because every single dollar that you give goes straight to those victims on the ground so that they get hot meals, so that the kids get some comfort and some coloring books and some things to play with, some toys as they wait in these shelters to find out where their families are. You can call them directly. The number is on the screen, 1-800-248-8881. Israel needs us, okay? Israel needs us right now. I pinned a link as well. If you just want to do this online at the top of the chat, whatever you can do. Again, like just you know, collectively together, we can help make a difference. If it's, if it's just a dollar, it counts. And by the way, it's really going to count because legacy precious metals for the next two days is going to match up to $5,000 in contributions. 
So if you can do that dollar or $2 or $5, it's going to get doubled. They are matching it again up to 5,000 legacy precious metals. You know, the, the sponsor on this program from the very beginning, but you know, hearing what happened, it's awful. It's awful. And you've got a, a political class here that is somehow using this and trying to exploit this. I played you a clip just yesterday from Corinne Jean-Pierre at the White House where the White House isn't even acknowledging the anti-Semitism that exists right here in America. No, no, no. They're more worried about the Muslims. I guess, I guess because what Rashida Tlaib told them that they needed to be. And to my president, to our president. Yes, he still are. Well, Hold on. I know, I, hey, I want him to know, as a Palestinian American, is also somebody of Muslim faith, I'm not going to forget this. And I think a lot of people are not going to forget this. And it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a threat. It isn't. They, they think we're joking. I mean, I think the White House and everyone thinks that we're just going to sit back and let this just continue to happen. No. The fact of the matter is, our lives are not safe with you or the forever peach president. When are we going to feel safe? When are we going to stop? Yeah. Nice. Nice. You know, I'll tell you, it's that kind of rhetoric that can lead to some pretty dangerous stuff, okay? She has every right to speak her mind, but we're in a very, very challenged time when you need sensitivity, right? Like sensitive, that sensitivity tip, it kind of matters. Those kids saying what they said at Harvard within hours of this happening, blaming Israel. I mean, it's basically the equivalent of having some kind of white supremacy rally, like on the day of the George Floyd thing. I mean, that's really what you're talking about. Not the time and place. 1,400 people have died. And so Jews in America, they're scared, they're worried, and they have a right to be. And yet the administration, sensing, I guess, this political, political issue, right? It's all politics to these people, politics and money. Karine Jean-Pierre, instead of acknowledging the anti-Semitism, guess what she did? This is in this week's press conference. Listen to KJP, whatever her name is level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, Look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. uh, And so I just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And that is something you heard the president speak to in his uh, in his address uh, just last last Thursday. And so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team, uh, uh, Homeland Security team, to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish, the Muslim, uh, Arab Americans, or, or any other communities. And that is something that the president has sought to do and, and since day one. As you know, the president ran on, on, um, on you know, bringing protecting communities, obviously, but bringing people together, the soul, uh, uh, protecting the soul of the nation. Uh, and so um, that is something that the president takes very, very seriously. Uh, and um, 
we you know we're going to continue to denounce any sort of hate uh, towards any American here, uh, and so that's what we're going to continue to be steadfast on. Again, he has he has uh, uh, advised, directed his Homeland Security uh, team to make sure that they're on top of this. Okay, did did you get that? I mean, like she was asked about anti-Semitism, and like boom, it flipped right around to anti-Muslim. We're worried about Muslims. I'm sorry. I mean, imagine. If you're a Jewish student at UPenn right now and you hear these people chanting, Israel, Israel, you can't hide, we want Jewish genocide. Imagine this, right? bunch of creeps i mean what a bunch of creeps and the bigger question is what the heck are we doing to our kids we're indoctrinating them right that's what this is all about i mean you've had a a big movement within elite academia that has filtered down by the way to every public school in america right now where you gotta start off every class by announcing your pronouns come on come on This is about something quite frightening when you think about it. And you know what? I am really happy that it's being exposed. Not happy. I mean, I have to be careful how I say that because I've been devastated, devastated since October 7th. But I want this to get called out. I want it to be pointed out because for anybody to sit there and say, oh, you know, like this is all great and kumbaya and like, you know, hey, we don't need the police. Give me a break. Like there's just sort of like basic human necessities that have to be addressed and we need to protect our people. We need to stand with our allies. Well, I love this because Leon Cooperman, who is a super successful investor, really neat guy, he went on my former place that I used to work and he spoke about this and and he just kind of let it rip. Watch. Where are we in the world when 1,300 Israeli civilians... I think these kids at the colleges have for brains. That's where you think we are. We have one reliable ally in the Middle East, that's Israel. We only have uh, one democracy in the Middle East, that's Israel. Okay, And we have one economy tolerant of different people, you know, gays, lesbians, etc., and that's Israel. So they have no idea what these young kids are doing. And that's one of the reasons I wrote my book. Now, the real shame is I've given to Columbia probably about $50 million over many years. And I'm going to suspend my giving. I'll give my giving to other organizations. Wow. That is a big statement. Good. Good. And that's what's happening over and over and over again. Huge mess at UPenn. Scott Bach, successful banker at Greenhill. He's head of the trustees. He may get thrown out, along with the woman who runs the place. Oh, and also Claudine Gay over at Harvard University, who's like an apologist for this. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, you know I believe in our First Amendment. However, as I've said before, you know, time and place, it's like when, you know, these horrible situations like what's going on in Maine, and they still have not at this point, at this juncture, located the shooter. So it's still a shooter at large. It's, it's, it's horrific. I grew up near there. I'm, I'm stunned. I feel terrible. But do you really think it's appropriate to take the conversation straight to, oh, we need to ban guns? No, no. The, again, not appropriate. And this is what they do. The left does this over and over and over and over again. Meanwhile, you get these kids 
with some silly Palestinian protest blaming every American corporation. Why not, right? It's it's the Americans, the oppressors, this colonization, Starbucks. It's their fault. I don't like Starbucks, but trust me, it's not Starbucks' fault. We call on you to boycott Starbucks! McDonald's! She has to read them. Right, because somehow all those companies are are responsible for your problems. I, I mean, enough, right? It's because they're doing business with Israel. Anybody who does business with Israel in these kids' books, they're part of the oppression system. You know, Dinesh mentioned this earlier, and it's important to remember how the Islamic religion and faith actually conquered a whole lot of areas. And this was death, or conversion, I should say, with the threat of death, conversion by the sword, as opposed to Christianity, which was much more about wanting to be part of something, right? And being inspired by Christ. Two very, 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 very different things. And the only way those mullahs continue to have power The only way the terrorists of Hamas continue to have power is if they keep throwing forward this narrative. It's the same as Black Lives Matter. The only way Black Lives Matter has power is if they tell you if you're black, you can't get ahead in America. You can't get ahead because there's all those white people trying to keep you down or those companies doing business with Israel that are trying to keep you down. This is their entire platform. And it's critical that it get called out. It is so important at this time and in this moment. Jonathan Greenblatt from the Anti-Defamation League, he was on CNBC, another place I used to work actually this morning, and that Joe Kernan was kind of like saying, hey, you know, like, how did these kids have like all this conviction? Like when I was in college, I wasn't like thinking about this with such crazy passion, wanting to go out and protest and this, that, and the other. And it's a brainwashing thing, right? Like when Joe was in school or when I was in school, they weren't trying to brainwash you. They're brainwashing you to hate America and to hate a certain class of people, including capitalism. This is full-on Marxism nonsense, and it's bad. Listen to Greenblatt's explanation. I don't think I was that aware I, I wouldn't have been in a position to have such a strong viewpoint. Where is it coming from? The look, whether the it's presidents, the, yeah, I mean, look, whether it's media. the right-wing extremists and and white right. supremacists or left-wing radicals and hardened anti-Zionists, these people are the fringe. We need to put them back on the fringe. But the, the ADL question, used to fight to allow Nazis to march. Would you do that today? I wouldn't say we would fight to allow Nazis to march. Let's give them the freedom Spokey. of speech. So I certainly believe ferociously in the First Amendment. But, you know, freedom of speech is not the freedom to, you know, slaughter people. And freedom of expression is the freedom to incite violence. So I'm okay with right. you marching, but not when it involves imperiling, endangering other people because of how they march. Could you march for a, a, and say that the 
Palestine is being occupied? Are you allowed to do that? You can certainly, you know, you were asking this. There is nothing wrong with criticizing Israel. By the way, nothing wrong with criticizing George Soros. It's when you demonize, it's when you dehumanize, and you put people at risk. Look, we have all over the country these crazy rallies taking place that literally call to wipe Jews off the map, called to globalize the Intifada. The Intifada was a violent military action that involved murdering thousands of civilians. Who thinks this is normal? We wouldn't tolerate... Nazis, too. I would say the same thing about Nazis. Yeah, look, I will tell you something. You know, 1939, right down the street at Madison Square Garden, 1939, there was a rally on behalf of the Third Reich here in New York. 20,000 people showed up at MSG. I got to tell you something. I think we will look back on these people, these kids, these individuals supporting Hamas today. Look at them at the same way those people supported the Nazis in the 1930s. Morally reprehensible. And whether it's a university president or a community leader who dithers and equivocates, history will not judge them well. Bingo. Bravo, Jonathan. Bravo. The stuff needs to be said. Unbelievable. All right. Shall we, shall we turn to some economic news? We got a GDP expanding at 4.9% seasonally inflation adjusted annual rate in the third quarter, more than double the second quarter pace. This is going to the Commerce Department reporting on Thursday. Now, normally you'd think that's a good thing, right? <laughs> Economy's growing, growing more than we thought. Wow. A lot. But what is that really telling us? You know, normally, again, that would be good news. But what this really means now is that the Federal Reserve is going to have to come forward and raise rates again. Why? Because the economy is on fire and we're getting more and more and more and more inflation. And as you get more and more and more inflation, you're going to have more and more problems. That's just kind of how it works. And so I want to share with you some comments from Jamie Dimon over at J.P. Morgan Chase, a smart guy, and kind of calls it like it is all the time. And he had uh, some thoughts on this. As the this was actually the day before we got the GDP print, but uh, I think he knows what's coming because this is a really, really weird place that we're in with so much inflation. I mean, I I did tell you forever that it was coming, it was going to happen, but we got morons in charge. Here we go, Jamie Dimon. When you look at the geopolitical situation, as complex as we've seen, and I I don't know if it's 1948 or 1938. Obviously, we all hope it goes away. I think it's a little bit of wishful thinking. It's going to take real leadership on the part of many people out there. And then I look at the financial situation, the, the fiscal spending, which is more than it's ever. I'm talking about the United States, but it's almost true around the world. It's more than it's ever been in peacetime by a long shot with the highest debt levels we've ever had by government. <clears throat> and there's this kind of omnipotent feeling that central banks and governments can, can manage through all this stuff. I, I, I'm cautious. I don't think it makes a piece of difference whether rates go up 25 basis points or more. Like zero, none, nada. I think whether the whole curve goes up 100 basis points, you know, I would, I urge people, be prepared for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. But I look at what we're seeing today more like the 70s. A lot of spending, a lot of it's going to be wasted. I'm in favor of this whole uh, ESG effort. On the other hand, if you look at the way we're going about it, uh, it's almost like governments want to whack them all and force it but no carbon taxes, no rational way to go about it that would be more important. In the United States, for example, you, know, you can't build pipelines to reduce coal emissions. You can't build, uh, you can't 
build, get the permits to build solar and wind uh, and things like that. So we, we better get our act together. I'm hopeful when I listen to all the R&D, see it around the world, we will make the breakthroughs we need to be climate. But it's going to be a day later and longer than it should be because of our own basic uh, uh, incompetence. I also want to add, add one last thing. I'm taking it from Bob Gates. To fix this, it's going to take real leadership from the Western world, in particular uh, America, but leadership which is not just military, diplomatic, development, finance. And this development finance, I don't know if Ajay is still here, what we need in development finance dwarfs what governments can do. So it, it, it can't be done without private capital, and private capital you know, isn't going to come in if they, you, know, you built something that gets taken from a government or something like that. So <coughs> we have a lot of work to do. It's one of the reasons I think these events are positive, uh, but I, I would be quite concerned and the other thing about when you look at economics, I think people prepare for possibilities and probabilities, not calling one course of action since I've never seen anyone call it. I want to point out that central banks 18 months ago were 100% dead wrong. Okay, so maybe there should be humility about uh, financial forecasting. I, I would be quite cautious about what might happen next year. Yeah, you bet they were dead wrong. So dead wrong. I mean, I was saying back in, in August of 2020, when I first started this show, we have to be really careful on the inflation front because you just can't. And by the way, Trump was still president then. And he sent on a second stimulus check. And I'm watching this along with what the Federal Reserve was doing. And they were printing money in ways that we have never, ever seen before. And then Biden comes in, he does a third round of stimulus check and you get Congress led by McCarthy, I mean, you know, look, I, I didn't love the spectacle that we just had to go through, but for goodness sakes, I mean, he was part of the problem too, allowing trillions more to be spent, including in that Inflation Reduction Act, and all we do is get more inflation. And so the economy's looking good, but what that means is you're going to have more inflation because you have too many dollars chasing too few goods. The one person that got this one right, Larry Summers. Larry Summers, not exactly a conservative, shall we say. By the way, Larry Summers won the first to call out Harvard. Uh, 1-866-589-0560, that is the number of our sponsor here, LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're looking to hedge some of this inflation, some people turn to gold, you can find out more information there by going to LegacyPMInvestments.com. They're just a wonderful group, and they're, by the way, if you again, I put the link at the very tip top of our chat, guys. I would love it if you could go over there to the fellowship, the International Fellowship for Christians and Jews, and consider right now a donation to them because up to five thousand dollars is the match that Legacy Precious Metals is going to do. So that is just wonderful. One eight hundred two four eight 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 one. Really, really good. But I do think you know they've been so off the mark so off the mark on this entire economy. And it's, it was sort of like the, the train wreck you could just see coming. And sure, we're, we're maybe doing okay right now, but I'll tell you, even as we speak, one of the headlines in the Wall Street Journal, for whatever that's worth, if you read the journal, I happen to like the paper. I think I like the FT too, but the journal's decent, even if it is owned by Murdoch. <laughs> anyway, it says, U.S. economy summer surge may not last. And there's some fear about the third quarter and there's some warning signs out there. But I would say the main warning sign, it's this inflation. It's this inflation. And you idiots, like how did you not think this was going to happen for goodness sakes? And sure, as Jamie Dimon said, you know, they, they want to make this transition to green energy, but we don't have the common sense to get us 
Not when the energy secretary, who's a ex-MSNBC failed anchor and a lousy politician out of Michigan, Jennifer Granholm, U.S. Energy Secretary, is asked by Bloomberg Television, what's the Granholm plan for energy? And she laughs like a hyena. I mean, if they had any, any brain power there, they'd be thinking through the implications of their foreign policy as it relates to domestic economic policy. But they don't. They don't. And I think there are so many different factions and so many people that have their own ideas, including, of course, Barack Obama, who may be like pulling the strings right from Martha's Vineyard. Barack Obama, who had this idea that somehow we could have peace with Iran and it would all just work out fine, except he forgot about the religious extremism. Or maybe he knew. I don't know the answer. I'd like to think he's just a dumb, naive idiot who's singing Kumbaya. I know some of you think it's very deliberate and very purposeful, and that's a terrifying thing to think about. But anyway, it's good to have you here. I want to go out to some of your comments and some of your reactions. You agree with me on uh, the yes, thank you. Um, it lasted way too long, a uh, guy writing about how the economy shut down for so long, and it was really, really a disaster. Danny, God bless America. I agree. God bless all of you for being here. It is good. I love our conversations. I love having this time together. Thank you, really, for being here and for being committed and, and being so loyal because it's, it's not easy. We're, we're building this like viewer by viewer by viewer by viewer and trying to break through and figure out, okay, can we say this today? Um, but we're getting there, and we're upwards of 155,000 subs on YouTube right now, 240,000 over on Facebook and Rumble, where I'm also live, 250 some odd thousand there. So a lot of good momentum. I just need your help in sharing it and getting the word out. They never put housing in the inflation number. Try it now. You know, Leslie, you're right. That goes back to what? The early 80s. Leslie's right. So like one of the problems with how we're looking at inflation right now is it's really not an apples to apples situation. Because when you put the housing thing in there, as Leslie points out, you know what, you're actually looking at inflation that's much more akin to what we really did see in the 1970s, somewhere around 16%. So somehow they had this idea that they were going to strip that out of the inflation numbers. And so when you look actually apples to apples and you compare using the same metrics that we did in the late 70s when inflation was really bad, well, guess what? We're right back there. We're right back where it all started. Whether or not we get stagflation, I mean, I guess it's encouraging that we grew 4.9%. I mean, I like that, but I know what that means. I know that means that the the Fed is going to have to work more aggressively. And guys, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note, it's nearly 5%. It touched at 5% earlier in the week. It's at 4.84% right now. I think as you get higher and higher and higher, I mean, I hope that we can withstand these higher interest rates and higher treasury yields. But you know what that means. If treasury yields are continuing to go up, well, guess what? People don't invest in new companies. They don't invest in new infrastructure or new employees because why would you when you can get that much? Just putting your money safely in a treasury. And so as those treasuries pay more, and they have to in order to attract the capital because we seem to be rather messed up and we have so much inflation, thereby reducing the value purchasing power of our dollars, well, what happens, what happens, and it's happened every time before, is that, yes, treasury yields will continue moving higher. I mean, in some ways, I guess it's nice if you want to save your money very, very, very carefully. You just have to 
um, you know, be, be, be disciplined because your dollars are not going to be worth as much two years from now or even six months from now. What a mess. What a mess. And, uh, yeah, some of you are pointing out that we, we, we're going to have more bills because we've got the Ukraine spending, too. I know. Don, thank you. 157. Woohoo! Way to go on YouTube. Good seeing you all. Good points from Mark as well. I'm seeing on the inflationary pressure. I agree with you. And it totally has hurt the middle class. The middle class, which is what Joe Biden, by the way, purports to care about. If you cared about the middle class, you wouldn't have done what you did, buddy. But he doesn't care. It's all politics, guys. I mean, do they care about the Israelis that are here in America, Jewish Americans? Do they care about them? No, because it's all politics. And suddenly they're worried that their Black Lives Matter crowd is going to jump ship and, and join you with Rashida and AOC and Ilhan. And the guy that the guy that what a thug this guy is, the guy that's pulling the fire alarm signs down. What is this like junior high? It's worse than junior high. Jamal Brown Bowman. I mean, he pled guilty. He's going to like have to face the court, I guess, in January. Take a look at that. I leave you with this here today because he's pulling the fire alarm signs down while they're supposed to be having a vote on Capitol Hill about spending. I mean, these people are not good for our country. And it's really critical that that message, do. It, it's got to come out. I mean, I know the media doesn't want to tell you that. The media has a very different narrative. But that's why it's up to whatever I can do in my small way, whatever you can do in your way to get out the word. Uh, David, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And Rob, I will always take a compliment. Hey, great to see you guys. Love having you here. We will continue our discussion, of course, as we do every day tomorrow.